Chapter 8, Part 2 of The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kuntz. Chapter 8 On the High Priest Breastplate, Part 2. In 628, not long before the date of the Arab invasion, the most precious relic of Christendom, the cross discovered by Helena, mother of Constantine the Great, and believed to be the very cross on which Christ died, was surrendered to the Greek emperor Heraclius, by Kobad II, son of Kusrau II, on the conclusion of a treaty of peace between the Eastern and Sicinian empires. This cross was one of the sacred objects borne away to Persia from Jerusalem by Kusrau in 615 AD. It is said to have been guarded carefully through the influence of Sira, Kusrau's Christian wife. There is a bare possibility that other objects of religious veneration taken from Jerusalem may have been given up by the Persians at the same time, and that the unique character of the most important relic so overshadowed all others that historians have failed to note the fact. The cross was restored to Jerusalem by Heraclius in 629, only to fall into the hands of the Mohammedans when that city was taken by the Arabs under Omar in 637. Hence, if the jeweled breastplate had also been surrendered by Kobad, it would probably have shared the same fate. We have here a wide field for conjecture, but unfortunately, nothing more. Still, in the absence of any definite and trustworthy information, there is a kind of romantic interest in viewing the various possible relations of the mystery surrounding the fate of the most precious gems, historically at least, that have ever existed. More especially is this interest justified in the case of all who are disposed to prize gems and jewels for their symbolic significance, for as we have shown, this significance, as far as concerns natal stones and the spiritual interpretation of the qualities of the heart and soul, symbolized by the color and character of the principal precious and semi-precious stones, has its root in the veneration felt by early Christian writers, beginning with the author of the Apocalypse, for the unforgotten and unforgettable gems that were worn by the Hebrew high priest. A rather ingenious utilization of the reputed powers of Aaron's breastplate comes to us in a book printed in Portland, Maine. The writer assumes that the Urim and Thummim, enclosed in the folds of the breastplate, consisted of twelve stones, duplicates of those engraved with the names of the tribes, and so disposed that, when they were shaken to and fro, and then allowed to come to rest, three of them would become visible through an aperture in the ephod, just beneath the rows of set stones, the signification of the oracle is given by the various combinations of color offered by the three stones that reveal themselves. To each combination, a pre-arranged meaning is given. That anything of the kind could have been true of the original Urim and Thummim is scarcely worth the trouble of refutation, but the practical result of this modern experiment is a clever oracle which will probably enjoy a certain vogue. For those who, with the late lamented Lieutenant Totten, see in the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, the Anglo-Saxons of England and the United States, and who look upon George V as the king who sits upon the throne of David, these symbolic stones of the breastplate acquire an added significance. While not pretending to be able to follow all the intricate and certainly most ingenious and interesting speculations of this school of biblical exegesis, 
we cannot help expressing some astonishment that Ephraim should be thought to prefigure England and Manasseh, the United States, instead of vice versa. In Genesis chapter 48, verses 17 to 20, the text more especially referred to in these speculations, Jacob's blessing is bestowed upon Ephraim, in spite of Joseph's protest that it should go to the eldest son, Manasseh. To this protest, Jacob answers, I know it, my son, I know it. He also, that is Manasseh, shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Certainly the very composite population of the United States perfectly merits this description. As a general rule, the Hebrews, when using the names Ephraim and Manasseh as tribal designations, maintain the twelvefold division of the people by substituting these tribes for Joseph and by dropping the name of Levi from the list, the tribe of Levi being assigned as priests to the care of the sanctuary and not participating in the division of the land of promise. In the Midrash Ben-Madar, the rabbinical commentary on numbers, the tribes are given in their order, with the stone appropriate to each, and the color of the tribal standard pitched in the desert camp, this color corresponding in each case with that of the tribal stone. This list represents a tradition dating back to at least the 12th century, and possibly much earlier than that. Hence its value should not be underestimated, although we may not accept it without some reserves. Odom, Reuben, Red. Pidah, Simeon, Green. Bereketh, Levi, White, Black, and Red. Jophek, Judah, Sky Blue. Sapir, Issachar, Black, with Stibium. Yahalam, Zebulun, White. Leshem, Dan, Sapphire Color. Shebo, Gad, Gray. Alamal, Naphtali, wine color. Tarshish, Asher, pearl color. Shoham, Joseph, very black. Lashfei, Benjamin, colors of all the stones. In the attempt to determine the identity of the stones enumerated in Exodus chapters 28 and 39, as adorning the breastplate of the high priest, we must bear in mind that this breastplate of Aaron, and the one described by Josephus, and brought by Titus to Rome after the capture of Jerusalem in 70 AD, are in all probability entirely distinct objects. The former, if it ever existed, except in the ideal world of the authors of the priestly codex, must have been composed of the stones known to and used by the Egyptians of the 13th and 14th century BC, some of them being, perhaps, set in the jewels of gold and jewels of silver, borrowed by the Israelites from the Egyptians just before the Exodus. On the other hand, the most trustworthy indications regarding the stones of the breastplate of the Second Temple, made perhaps in the 5th century BC, should be sought in the early Greek and Latin versions of the Old Testament, and in the treatise on the precious stones by Theophrastus, who wrote about 300 BC, the natural history of Pliny, that great storehouse of ancient knowledge, and the other early writers, may also be used with profit. 1. Odom. The etymology of this word clearly indicates that we have to do with a red stone, most probably the carnelian. We know that in ancient Egypt, hieroglyphic texts from the Book of the Dead were engraved upon amulets made from this stone, and it was also used for early Babylonian cylinders. 
fine specimens of carnelian were obtained from arabia the greek septuagint and the latin vulgate as well as josephus in the wars of the jews volumes five and seven and epiphanius all translate sardius the ancient designation of the carnelian in his antiquities however josephus renders odum by sardonyx the egyptian word canem was used to designate red stones and seems to have been applied indifferently to red jasper and red feldspar as well as to the carnelian indeed the first named material was more freely used in early egyptian work than the carnelian it is therefore probable that in mosaic times odum signified red jasper while for the fifth century b c carnelian would be the better rendering this modern name of the sardius signifying the flesh-colored stone first appears in the latin translation of a treatise by luca ben costa who wrote in the tenth century a d the name of reuben is said to have been engraved on the odum stone which occupied the first place on the breastplate two pida there seems to be little doubt that this is the topazius of ancient writers which usually signified our chrysolite or peridot not our topaz for pliny and his successors described the topazius as a stone of greenish hue a legend related by pliny gives as the place of origin an island in the red sea called topazos from topazian to conjecture because it was difficult to find however the hebrew pitta appears to have been derived from the sanskrit pitta yellow and should therefore have originally signified a yellow stone perhaps our topaz w m flinders petri probably influenced by this sanskrit etymology sees in it the yellow serpentine used in ancient egypt if nevertheless we admit that a light green stone occupied the second place on the mosaic breastplate it was perhaps the light green serpentine this was called met in egyptian and was often used for amulets in the case of the later breastplate we may substitute the peridot on this second stone was engraved the name simeon three bareketh here the septuagint josephus and the vulgate agree in translating smaragdus and as we know that emerald mines were worked in mount zabara in nubia before the beginning of our era and that the emerald was known and used in egypt there does not seem to be any reason for rejecting the usual translation emerald still it must be admitted that smaragus often designates other green stones than the emerald the suggestion has been made by myers and petri that the passage in revelation chapter four verse three where the rainbow is likened to the smaragdus indicates that the writer used this name for rock crystal but this conjecture is scarcely satisfactory since it confuses the prismatic effects of light which has transversed the crystal with the crystal itself there can be little doubt that a stone of brilliant coloration like the emerald not a colorless one like rock crystal would be used as a simile for the rainbow whether the mosaic breastplate already contained the emerald is another question and it seems rather more likely that green feldspar freely used in ancient egypt for amulets and known as uat was the third stone of the proto breastplate the authorized version makes the carbuncle the third instead of the fourth stone upon the bereketh was engraved the name levi four nofek this name is rendered anthrace by the septuagint and josephus and carbunculus by the vulgate 
this designation signifying literally a glowing coal was used for certain stones distinguished by their peculiarly brilliant red color such as the ruby and certain fine garnets while it is quite possible that the oriental ruby may have been in the breastplate seen by josephus it is almost certain that it could not have been in the original breastplate of mosaic times since there is absolutely no proof that this stone was known in ancient egypt hence we are inclined to believe that in the thirteenth century b c the name nofek designated the almondine garnet or some similar variety of that stone the authorized version has emerald here instead of in the third place on this fourth stone of the breastplate was engraved the tribal name of judah five sapir this is rendered sapphirus in all the old versions the stone cannot have been our sapphire for both theophrastus and pliny describe the sapphirus as a stone with golden spots thus showing that they meant the lapis lazuli which is often spotted with particles of pyrite having a golden sheen this stone was named chesbet by the egyptians and was highly prized by them a quantity of lapis lazuli often appearing as an important item in the lists of tribute paid to egypt and among the gifts sent by babylonia to the egyptian monarchs and obtained from the oldest mines in the world these were worked at a period four thousand b c and still are worked to this day from this material amulets and figures were made many of which have been preserved for us and the egyptian high priest is said to have worn suspended from his neck an image of mat the goddess of truth made of lapis lazuli the name is composed of the latin lapis a stone and luuard the name of the stone in persian from this latter word is also derived our azure in ancient times the lapis lazuli was the blue stone par excellence because of its beautiful color and the valuable ultramarine dye derived from it although pliny writes chapter thirty seven verse thirty nine that this stone was too soft for engraving this fact need not have prevented its use in the breastplate since the stones set therein were not intended for use as seals and hence were not subjected to any wear in this connection however it is somewhat strange that the hebrew word sapir appears to indicate a stone especially adapted to receive inscriptions the fact that the lapis lazuli was greatly esteemed in ancient egypt and was still much used as an ornamental stone in greek and roman times renders it possible that it was set not only in the original breastplate but also in that of a later age upon this fifth stone the name issachar was inscribed six yaholam the sixth stone of the septuagint version and of josephus is the yaspis probably green jasper or jade and this has been assumed to show that in the original hebrew text Yashve was the sixth stone in place of yaholam the twelfth stone of the greek version is the onyxion or onyx and this seems to be the most probable equivalent of the hebrew yaholam some hebrew sources however render it diamond and luther in his german version of the bible as well as our authorized version translates it thus this rendering is based upon the derivation of the word yaholam from a verb meaning to smite thus making the name of the stone signify the smiter a designation not inappropriate for the diamond which because of its extreme hardness has the power to cut or smite all other stones however for this purpose the emery corundum or simra's point shamir mentioned in zachariah was most likely used the diamond was certainly not used in this way in very early times 
although it is possible that the stone was employed in engraving in the fifth century bc these considerations induce us to prefer the traditional interpretation of yaholam and translate it onyx in this case the smiter could be explained as denoting the use of the engraved onyx for sealing as the engraved figure or letters were struck upon some soft material to make an impression zebulun was the tribal name inscribed on the yaholam seven leshem no stone in the breastplate is more difficult to determine than this one the septuagint josephus and the vulgate all translate ligurius an appellation sometimes applied to amber a substance quite unfitted for use in the breastplate among the other engraved stones probably the original significance of ligurius was amber this name being used because liguria in northern italy was the chief source of supply for greece and the orient amber which had been gathered on the shores of the baltic being brought by traders to liguria and forwarded thence to other lands as however the greeks had another name for amber electron the name ligurion appears to have been applied later to a variety of the jacinth somewhat resembling amber in color and then to other varieties of the same stone the original form of the name was evidently ligurion which was later changed to lycurion and then was explained as meaning the urine of the lynx from lux and uporon urine this fanciful etymology gave rise to the story that the lugurios or rather lycurius was the solidified urine of the lynx the term lucurion as used by theophrastus may possibly have included the sapphire as well as the jacinth since he lays a special stress upon the coldness of this substance a quality characteristic of the sapphire and also of the still denser jacinth hence it appears that we have even in the name ligurius some justification for accepting the rendering hyacinthus suggested by the list of foundation stones in revelation chapter twenty one verse twenty and already proposed by epiphanius bishop of constantia about four hundred a d whether hyacinthus should be rendered sapphire or jacinth is not easy to determine as this name seems to have been used indifferently for both stones with the arabs under the form yakut it became a generic term for all the varieties of the corundum gems the sapphire was engraved in greek and roman times and is perhaps the leshen stone of the second temple for the mosaic breastplate we are forced to seek for some stone known in ancient egypt where the sapphire does not seem to have been introduced at an early date if we could accept the suggestion of burkst that the egyptian leshem stone reputed to have wonderful magic virtues was the same as the hebrew leshem a brown agate would have been the seventh stone in the original breastplate as wendell gives very strong reasons for rendering neshem in this way the color designations were very freely used in egyptian and therefore a reddish or a yellowish brown agate may have been used the leshem bore the tribal name joseph end of chapter eight part two